0: We're continuing where we left off. It is um, June 28th, 2020, and we're ready to continue our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Uh, Here
1: is the thought of the week Grace stands as a mediator between God's love and justice. Love has within it, has love has within it God's motivation to accomplish his plan. Justice demands that God do so according to his highest standards with absolutely no possibility of compromise. We can learn a valuable lesson here from God's own internal working. Achieving goals is certainly important. Grace teaches us how we achieve them also is also especially important we must learn to pursue our goals with the highest standards of righteousness and justice in the same way god does grace embodies love's highest motivations and desires while at the same time demanding that the justice that justice be completely satisfied before it is bestowed. In grace, God finds a way to lavish love upon us without the slightest regard of compromising his integrity. Grace presents a perfect balance. Excuse me. I flipped here too soon. Hold on. Okay, of what is important to God. The collaboration grace brings is perfectly seen here. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How he will not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, Romans 8, 32. Love's desire is met graciously but not without tremendous sacrifice, which also satisfies divine justice. Grace is God's way to bring salvation and a sure method for God to ultimately accomplish his His eternal purposes. Even though the Apostle Paul felt inadequate because of his past opposition to Christ, his testimony was, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ as found in Ephesians 3, chapter 8. Grace is the wisdom of God. There's the thought of the week. I'm going to hand service over to Dwight for prayer.
2: Thank you very much, Fred. Uh, Before I start with the prayer, are there any special requests I would like to be made
1: no. Pray For me and my family, mm-hmm. I like for, uh, prayer for me and my family. Uh, my wife—I mean, not my my uh, granddaughter Janae—in particular has the COVID disease, and just praying for her that she would be she be, would be able to get through this.
2: let us come before the throne of grace. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for all of the things that you have provided for us. Every single detail of every single provision has been taken care of. And in addition to that, you let us know these things. These things are revealed to us in your word, the word of truth. And by the help of the spirit of truth, we can assimilate these things into our spirit and know that we are, I pray on behalf of all of our families, pray for their health and welfare and salvation and spiritual growth as well. I pray that your spirit would continue to work in their spirits tirelessly until we all see the word of truth. I also pray for special situations such as Fred's granddaughter, dealing with um, his coronavirus going around and would pray that you would keep people safe and um, you know, grant them the opportunity, the gracious opportunity, to come to you. We know that your patience is great. Is great and we only ask that you would be even more patient, um, as we would want our, all our loved ones to come to you and to know you. I pray for all of Word of Truth Church as well as the church worldwide. Um, for people who are eagerly seeking you and are looking forward to the rewards that you have for us, but allowing love to be our pure motivation. We pray that we be kept safe from the dangers of this world, even though we are in it, we are not of it. We want to know and do your will to protect our endeavor, protect our motivation, help us in times that we need to contend for the faith and help us to speak the truth in love with everyone, with gentleness and reason. And we also pray for the sheer inhumanity of things going on in this world, that people could be drawn away from that and that your spirit would intercede not only for us, praying for the things that we ought to pray, according to your will, but also um, work tirelessly and to influence the spirits of those who are in the world and have not awoke to your good news and bad news yet. And let us be instruments in that regard. And in, in the same um, essence, we ask that um, you would grant Pastor Doug the words to um, to help us to enlighten our hearts and realize the hope that is within us. The inheritance that is guaranteed by the positive of the Spirit. In Jesus' name
0: I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you. <clears throat> Thank you, Dwight, Fred. We are going to continue right now with uh, where we are in John chapter 14, verse 22. This is our focus. It uh, says, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? So this is going to be, that's verse 22. In uh, and, and your notes, hopefully everyone has their notes, as Judas asks an important question to the Lord, many of the disciples are often, are, are on the edges of their seats, Not only did Judas have this question, I'm sure the others had questions too. Not only that, since we have been reading along closely, I bet we have questions for Jesus. Questions allowed Jesus to gauge their interest and elaborate even more on this important new age to come. Jesus did not have any problem with the questions. It was an opportunity to teach more. As a teacher, this is exactly what he wanted anyway. Judas asks the why question. In his mind, I'm sorry, in my mind, it is a great question to ask. The why questions touch on the purpose or motivation of Jesus' action. Uh, I would have liked to thank Judas for raising the question and inspiring even more. So questions, obviously, are important to us. We take a lot of time uh, on what we call questions and answers. And that helps us get to uh, see perspectives that we don't normally get to see. Just by allowing for questions to be raised. Jesus also allowed questions to be raised. So we're going to try to break this verse down and... I'd say it is not as uh, difficult as what we have been focused on, on these previous verses, uh, but it is a break, I could say. Uh, just a break to stop and think about what is being said and the impact of it. So let's look at it. So the first phrase is, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said. So first to note, This is not Judas Iscariot. Well, one of the things I appreciate is that aside there, that it is not Judas Iscariot. And the reason why is because we want consistency. So we know Judas left the group earlier, and we can read that in John 13 and 30, where after right at the Lord's table, uh, Jesus said, is the one I give the bread after I dip it, that's the one who's going to betray me. And then later it's in 1330, it says Jesus, Judas went out and it was night. And so, no, we're not talking about Judas Iscariot and the Bible is not mixed up here thinking that, Oh, well, wait a minute, Judas left already. And now you're trying to tell us that Judas asked the question. Ah, so it's it's not consistent. No, The Bible is consistent. It can be trusted in the things that is said. Uh, now, of course, there are other, some other revelations that do mix details like that up, but not the Bible. The Bible is accurate in what it portrays and what it says, and we can trust the Bible. In fact, we're, we're hanging our life on the Bible and what it says, and we're hanging our eternal destiny on the Bible and what it says. So it is, the accuracy and consistency is important. That's the first point to note. Second is the fourth. This is comes from RWP, which is uh, a commentary. Robertson's Word Pictures is the commentary. So this is what he says: the fourth interruption since John three thirty-six. That's how he characterizes verse twenty-two. And then he and I noted that. From Peter, Thomas, Philip, and now Judas, of course I disagree with the statement. So when I say I disagree with his statement, he seems to see their questions as interruptions. And I don't see that. I see it as enhancing. For instance, I'll just give you a couple examples of this. So John chapter 13, if we look at the one with Peter where Jesus said, uh, he, he made this statement, right? This is uh, verse 33, John thirteen thirty-three. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So now, even though he continues on with this new command, And here's a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another right peter is stuck on what he said it it threw all of them what do you mean and then jesus kept going on about this new command and love and i want you guys to stick together and all that peter was stopped right there he says lord Where are you going? Forget about the new command. Where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked the Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So look at the detail that the questions brought out it wasn't that the question was just somewhere off in left field and Jesus had to go back to Moses or something to answer it. It was right in the context of what Jesus said. Peter was saying, I need more clarity on this. What do you mean you're going away? How can you say that? And then he says, well, Jesus says, you can come. You're going to follow. Where I am going, you cannot follow now. But later you will come. So Jesus didn't say that earlier. But when we drill in for more detail, notice we get more detail. And then, again, um, where Jesus in chapter 14, where he prompted the question. I think he begged, this is what we call begging the question, where he uh, says in verse 4, You know the way to the place where I am going. So Thomas quickly said, wait wait a minute, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So what do we get from this? We get more detail. If Jesus had just said that and then left it, maybe that would have been all there was. But no, now we have much more interactive conversation that we can all identify with, as well as jesus begging the question here as well uh, about the father he says if verse seven if you really knew if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him philip this time says lord show us the father and that will be enough for us if you just show us the father we'll be satisfied meaning we are not satisfied But if you show us this father you've been talking about, then maybe we'll be... So what happens after that? Jesus gets to talk at length about who the father is. How can you say, show us the father? I mean, the father's in me. He's doing the work. The words you hear are not my own, but the father's. I could go on. But then we get to this thing with Judas. Asking the question, how do you, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? So point being, so I don't see the questions as interruptions. I see them as opportunities right? and to, to, to be able to, to ferret out even more information. So point C in our notes, questions are healthy and provide balance to the conversation. However, the teacher must not be distracted and stay on course, right? So questions, if, for instance, if Jesus was getting ready to tell us something real interesting about the new age, the new dispensation to come, and then a question comes up, and he totally goes into another direction, and it doesn't tell us what he intended to tell us. Well, then maybe the question there is not healthy. It's not a good balance. Because we want Jesus to tell us about the new age, the information that is at hand. And we don't want questions about the law or other things to distract us. So the teacher has to make that judgment call and stay in control of the conversation. If you allow the questions to take you off of what you need to teach, then it's not a healthy balance there. But when the questions enhance what you're teaching and you're able to bring out more in detail that people could use, that you maybe hadn't seen, then questions are a good thing. So, we're going to move on to point number two. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us? Why? So, first thought is, I guess the question can be boiled down to... Why us, right? You could almost say that. Why do you intend to show yourself to us? And the rest of it is, and not to the world. So what we could say from that is, why us? Why are you showing yourself to us and not everybody else? What is this about, right? Give us more detail. Uh, Jesus answers their question directly. And it's their love. So... That is a quick answer as to why he intends to show himself to them and not to the world. Love. But then point E was here, a conditional timeline. So I wanted to at least say all the things that uh, stand in the way of uh, all this happening for the disciples. Right? Let's just lay it out there. So I call it a conditional timeline. So Jesus would have to depart. Alright, so first he would have to die, which he already said he was going to leave them. And he was going to, when he says, I'm going now, but you can't come now, you'll come later. He's talking about his departure to heaven. So in that, we have not only the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, right? And that's, and we call it the session, ascension and session of the Lord. And then they send the Holy Spirit back. So that, Uh, then the Father uh, sends the Spirit uh, at Pentecost. So all this has to happen first. Right? And then the disciples continue to love their Lord Jesus Christ. And then he would show himself to them. So if you put all that together, you're you're seeing that uh, the question, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Well... It's because of your love. And in the context of it, you you will see verse 15, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands, or keep my commands. What's his commands? What has he been talking about? All the things that he's talking about, the Father, and believe me when I tell you this. This is happening. Right? So if you love me and (laughs) I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate that be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it can't see him. But you know him because he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, right? And then, um, on that day you will realize I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this goes back to verse 15, is the one who loves me, see? So loving him... It is a matter of maturity. It is not a matter of childhood. We don't automatically come to love him. It's a condition. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And if we skip our verse and go back to, go down to verse 23, Jesus answers the question with this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So, and then this is, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And then let's look at the converse of that. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, but they belong to the father who sent me. So love is important here. So we can say, well, Jesus says, I'm going to show myself to you. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because I live, you also will live. All those terms are, you know, are important to attach the condition of love. And even though the disciples loved him now, they still didn't have the revelation of what Jesus was saying. It had to wait until the other conditions were met. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and session, and sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So those were the conditions to follow. And we have to make sure we see those as um, conditions even now for us. We don't have to wait for Pentecost anymore. We don't have to wait for Jesus to die, be buried, resurrected, ascended. All that's done. But what condition is before us right now? Love. If you love me, you will keep what I'm saying. Right. That's important. That's the condition. Love is not something you get because you've been born again. It takes time for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. And then he sheds love abroad in your heart for Christ. That's what Jesus was saying here. That's the condition that still exists for us today. He will show himself to them. Point F. The question I would have followed up with is how this would happen, right? So Thomas, uh, not Thomas, but Judas asks the question, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Why? I would have maybe said, how? This is what I was thinking earlier, right? So the two questions are why and how. But the why question, Jesus answers in the context. So we're going to get that. Even next week, we're going to get that. But we already know the answer today. But we will get it in more detail. But the how question. So in point F, I said, as I am asking the question, the how question that is, I already see the answer. And the question is, do you see it? So I'm asking you, do you see how he is going to show himself to them and not to the world? How is Jesus going to do that? Even just asking the question as I was going through the thought of this in my own mind i said well wait a minute i already see the answer here the how he's going to do it so i want you to think about how he's going to do it in your own mind we are actually we already covered it so hopefully you see it as well so to make a long story short as they say i'll say how i saw it the how is by means of God, the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit will come, and through that process, right, Jesus will make himself known to us. Obviously, there are other conditions. That's the how it will happen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How are you going to do that? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how it will happen. Now, which ministry of the Holy Spirit is that? In particular that he will show himself to us and that would be the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit we covered that in more detail last week so we said the love was more about maturity right uh, it's recognition uh, and, and all of us are encouraged to have this kind of love or to grow into it right this is important for us to get to a level where we don't just believe that these things happen but we're engaged we're committed to them we love them ourselves this is something that when we get up in the morning we don't have to be encouraged to think about cuz this is who we are this is this is our life it's our calling it's our niche so we could say love from that standpoint is a motivation. So we covered that last week and we, you know, how all of those conditions dovetail together at Pentecost. And the disciples already loved Jesus. We we could say that that was the case. So interestingly, I was looking at this. I said, well, is Jesus saying that they didn't love him and that he was encouraging them I think he was encouraging them to continue that love, and then remember, there were two things. One was the love for each other, that means the commitment there toward each other, that they would stay together, and be the foundation that would eventually be the church. Uh, those are the they be, the disciples became apostles, who are the foundation of the church. So in a sense, you could read John 14:15 as "Since you love me." I know it says, "If you love me." Right? It could be, "Since you love me, you keep my commands." Because right? really, I think the disciples already did love Christ, and I think they showed uh, their love for him in many ways. In fact, one of the things that I saw in John 13:33 was Peter. Peter loved Christ so much that he said he was willing to lay down his life for him. Remember, uh, Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, uh, or or somebody who had come to him and asked the question, "What must I do that to inherit, you know, eternal life?" And uh, I think the subject turned to, you know, those who have left houses and left everything right and and have come to follow him right and the disciples later asked the question lord we have left all those things to follow you we've done all that we so really the disciples were showing their love for christ they followed him they left their businesses they left their families and children and they walked with this man for three years They trusted that he was the Messiah. I mean, it was very hurtful to them when they had to sit there and watch Jesus being crucified. And it was hard. And all they could remember was his commands. So what did they do as a result of it? They did remember one thing. To stay together. Don't love one another. I understand there's going to be doubts and fear and all this stuff. But what were they doing? They were in the upper room and they were all together. Now, one wasn't, Thomas. And, of course, the next week, Jesus came back and visited again. And Thomas was there. So what we have in all of that is love that they had for Christ. So it's important here that they were able to follow through, not only with that love, the commitment that they had for Christ, with uh, moving to Pentecost, where the reality of their commitment will be rewarded by the presence of Christ in them. I will show myself to them. And we said that that showing had to do with the ministry of the Spirit. What ministry? The, The sealing ministry? Uh, What is the sealing? It's the Holy Spirit. It's a a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So we have that as part of our heritage, as who we, as to who we are in Christ. So back to our notes, right? So hopefully you'll understand that. And point G now. What may be common for us is unprecedented. To the disciples i just want us to remember that um we see things from a different perspective we're, we're looking back on all of these events and we are easy and quick to judge the disciples on how they managed it we're quickly a lot of us will say well none of the disciples believe and we can point all those things out that when christ died they didn't somehow trace back those words that hey jesus says i'm coming back to life and uh, you know, I'll die and after three days I'll be raised. They could have depended on that and said, oh yeah, this is just like what he said. He said he would die. He said he was going to go to Jerusalem and that all these things were going to happen to him. But the reality of witnessing Christ on the cross was devastating for them. It was hard. and There were many messiahs who had come and gone. Many uh revolts that were quelled by the romans and how did they do it by crucifying the leaders and everybody that they could find associated with them they hung them on the cross as a testimony to anybody else who would think that they would go down that path so what we think is oh yeah it's common knowledge jesus said it why didn't they believe it right we have our own struggles to deal with. But one thing I'd say is what's common to us, uh, to them, or unprecedented, I might say, to them, is also still common today. All right? So when I read Ephesians 3, 2 through 5, we see very similar thoughts here. Ephesians 3, let's turn to that. 2. 5 surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you and I like to read that as sure you have right this this is something you should have heard about I've been teaching on it uh, Paul says for a, a while now and I'm hoping you have some knowledge of this and he says that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And reading what? What goes on ahead of this? As we have already said, Ephesians chapter 3 is probably the deepest book, chapter, in the Bible. I mean, if you don't count Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and (laughs) 4, all around it, they're all deep, but... Uh, So, Paul, when he said that in verse 4, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, what's interesting, as I said, today, this is uncommon. We are still working on trying to teach the gospel to people, which forget about this stuff. We're not even able to talk about the mystery age and the significance of it. Our job is twofold. We have to teach the gospel. We have to be ministers of reconciliation before we can give somebody the right hand the fellowship of being in Christ. We have to they have to be saved. So this was like this for the disciples. I'm only saying this. Don't think we're so far removed from uh the disciples that we can't uh you know, all this stuff is common knowledge today. It's not common knowledge today. People are struggling with the mystery doctrines. It is not something that's commonly taught, even though it is our heritage. It is our destiny. I mean, all everything we are is bound up in Christ and, and the mystery, and yet it is not something that is commonly talked about in Christian circles. So, we we can chide the disciples because they were ignorant, but listen, they were learning things for the first time. These things were not in their theology books. They couldn't turn to the rabbi and say, hey, Christ was saying this, what do you think? Because the rabbis, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they didn't know any of this stuff. This was a disclosure to the disciples and them alone. Jesus didn't talk on the Sermon on the Mount about the mystery, but he did know it fully. So with this teaching and from 13 all the way to 16, uh, he said, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Jesus is saying, look, there's a lot more about this is coming much more. And so, it was a surprise. It was unprecedented information for the disciples. Like I say, it's still uncommon today. Many people, you ask them, do you know anything about the mystery? What mystery? What are you talking about? Where did you get this information? It becomes like, what? You haven't heard? Surely you have heard. That's what we want to say. But we're not there. I'm sorry, Paul. We can't go to people and say, surely I've heard. We have to tell them, hey, by the way, turn your Bible to here. Let's look at these verses. Let's see what you think about these verses. So, listen, the questions are certainly legitimate that uh, were asked. The puzzling of the disciples, certainly, they they had no frame a reference for these things. So we should know and appreciate their questions and responses. They're pretty much what ours would have been. So back to the notes. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? This last phrase, and not to the world. Let's look at that. And not to the world. Judas understood that this coming was not public private so that's interesting that Judas brought that out and that he understood that from what Jesus was saying about I'm going to send the spirit I will come because I live you will also live I will come to you he's he understood somehow that that was private so he asked the question how is it that you how are you going to why do you intend to do it this way That you're going to come to us privately. When I say private, I mean Jesus is going to make himself known to them. But not to everybody. So just imagine, everybody at Pentecost didn't know that uh, Jesus was in them. They didn't understand that they died with Christ and were buried with him. That's why Paul says, what, don't, don't you know in Romans 6? that many of, so many of us were baptized with Christ, were baptized into his death, so like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. They did not know this, so they had to be taught this. And it doesn't mean because you believe in Christ or you come to know or you, you're saved that that means you love him. The disciples had that relationship, I think, because of their association with Christ for three years, their commitment, their motivation to follow him wherever he said or go, to go. So, so this part, Judas was astute enough to understand. He said, wait a minute, I, why are you going to show yourself to us and not to the world? So that's a point to make. And point B... I'm glad this was called out too because there are so many theories about Jesus' coming. Right? There's, what coming is this? Oh my gosh, if you read Revelation and people are all over the place about the pre-millennial, post-mid tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, all kinds of uh, theologies that are out there. And for Jesus to say, I'm, I'm going to come back so people are looking for him all kinds of ways. Is he coming secretly? Is he? I could tell you the Jehovah's Witnesses were saying that Jesus was coming back in 1914. Of course, they were saying that he was coming back literally. But of course, that didn't happen. So they changed it to spiritually. Uh, and then later, he would be coming back physically. And earlier than that, the Adventists were saying that Christ was coming, you know, in their day, back in 1800s, early 1800s. So this is, listen, there are so many theories about Jesus and his coming and when it will be and what will happen and so forth and so on. And this is why we took uh, a study of Revelation up. We We, our intention was not to go through every book, I mean, every detail of Revelation, but. What we did, in, because it was so interesting that we started studying Revelation just verse by verse, it took about four years, but three and a half, four years, but it was worth it. But my goal in doing that was so that we would at least understand the, uh, the, eschatology, the eschatology that we believe in this church, why we believe it. So it's up for discussion. And Revelation was the reasoning as to why we believe it. We went through the book. We showed why we have the view that we hold. There are a lot of voices out there when it comes to Jesus coming back, theories, and so forth. So Thomas did put a squelch on this by saying that it would not be to the world. Thank you, Thomas. Because <laughs> that would be yet another thing for people to be confused about. I hope people will n- are not confused by this. Point C. As far as the world is concerned, and this is a quote from John fourteen seventeen, right? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So he's talking, Jesus, this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Finish that verse, it says, but you will, but you will know him because he he lives, he's with you now and he will be in you. He's talking about Pentecost, obviously. So, it's very clear that the world has no affiliation with God the Holy Spirit there's conditions for God the Holy Spirit and and what Jesus is talking about I don't have to go over the conditions we already went over them but then there's that first Corinthians 2 14 passage which we know we've covered first Corinthians chapter 2 just to remind you it says the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So that the Spirit is the only one who can search out the deep things and present them to us. He searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 10. What is he talking about? He's talking about Pentecost here. So, if a person rejects what happened at Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, they certainly won't be able to interpret or understand the lofty things that we talk about as a result of what the Spirit has brought us. They will say, that's foolishness. That's what they will say about the things you believe. It's interesting to note. So, here's another thought and last point here. And point D, see what great love, this is a scripture, First John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So in this Last verse that we're going to talk about, I just wanted to say, notice the world is here, and the world does not know Christ, and we are identified with the person of Christ. That is is our—that's uh, what the, the ministry of the Spirit brought to us. That's what the baptism of the Spirit brought, is our identification with Christ. So, the reason the world does not know us, is that it did not know Him. Well, what did they do with Christ? They crucified him. They hated him. They couldn't get way to get rid of him. So what about us? Well, Jesus said, well, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. They, and just note, why do you have trouble in this world? Because not because of you, it's because of me. They hated me before they hated you. I'm the reason. And our identification with Christ is the reason. So, this puts a cap on Judas' question, and and this is part of uh, an aside here to understand a little bit deeper into what was being said. And it does prompt Jesus to tell more about uh, this new age to come and the dynamics that are part of it. We'll continue with this next week with verse 23. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, this time we've had to study your word and to learn about the detail of what you have given us. Thank you for Christ and him being the focal point of all your plan from eternity past. That all of this would rest on the shoulders of Christ. We thank you for those who have come, and we pray that we will continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.